Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 123 of the Apple Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. This podcast is brought to you in part by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial when you go to audibletrial.com slash apolog. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So to get your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash apolog. Sign up for free, get a 30-day free trial, and get a free download. Audible trial, it's awesome. AudibleTrial.com. That's awesome. If you're interested, I would like you to take a look at my affiliate program. I am working with Amazon. Amazon is a place where you go online and you buy things. And I have an affiliate program with it. You can go to, if you're from Canada, there's the fast way to do it is to go to appalogue.ca slash Amazon. And you will be teleported magically over to Amazon. Shop at will. Bookmark that link. And then every time you shop on Amazon, you will be supporting the show. If you're from uh, the United Mistakes of America, then you can go to appalog.ca on the homepage and click on the banners on the, located on the right side. UK people do that too. Though UK people don't really shop on Amazon, I don't think, because they think it's too far away. That could, be, that could be a very harsh generalization, but probably true. Like I said, support the show by shopping on Amazon. It costs you no extra money. It's a very cool thing to do, and I love it. I love it. I got my first paycheck from my Canadian Amazon affiliate program. And if I put it, I just, I bought something with it. It was great. Hey, if you're interested in supporting the show on a monthly basis, go to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees. Cancel at any time. You know, running a podcast ain't free, folks. Costs money. I got a website to make. I got to drive to places. I got internet fees. I got all this stuff. And with your pledge on a monthly amount, you will really be supporting me out uh, on this. Oh, one more thing. In June, I'm doing Ride to Conquer Cancer. And it's a 200-kilometer bike ride. And if you go to apolog.ca, you'll see the banner, the Ride to Conquer Cancer banner. You can pledge and help me out. This is more important than any of these little spots I'm doing. I'm trying to conquer cancer, everybody. And to conquer cancer, I need to ride 200 kilometers. Okay, and I, I am making light of it, but it's a very, very important thing that we're, that happens. People, people, everybody I know knows somebody with cancer, and we gotta conquer it. Hey, okay, okay, where was I? Oh yeah. So <clears throat> if you're interested uh, in getting some recording and mixing done, go to InsightRecorders.com, and you can see that I have some rates there. I have a place to record in. I'm presently taking bookings for the summer. If you're in the Toronto or Ontario region, come on by. The rates are very fair, and it's a very cool place to record. It's in an old barn, and I love it there. It's very cool. Right now, it's being inhabited by some raccoons, and I am going to try and get rid of them in the next couple of weeks. I know how I'm going to do it. I think if you play music, it'll, they'll scare them away. At least so my uncle does anyways. Also, I want you to check out my Insight Recorders 3D printing aspect to the page. If you go to Insight Recorders slash 3D prints, that's the number three letter D prints. Check out what we have there. If you need some prototyping done, contact me. If you need some whatever's there, buy what's there. It'll get shipped to you. It's cool. It's my new little passion slash hobby slash um, business. Inside Recorders also deals with online mixing. So if you want to send me a recorded mass, uh, multi-track, it'll get mixed and mastered. I'm, I'm working really heavy these days with stuff like that, max mastering and mixing bands. Some of them I haven't even met before. That, that's kind of cool. 
Hey, okay, go to applelog.ca slash shop to buy a t-shirt. Um, this this acoustic album might actually come out and it's hinging on one thing right now, but I'll let you know when that happens or if it happens. And you can buy my band's Foursquare discography for $20. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. Go to uh, iTunes and check out Apolog Podcast there. If you're interested in getting caught up on news, go to facebook.com slash Pod. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. I'm sorry it took a little longer this time, but um, it had to be done. Today, uh, my show is... A very old friend of mine, Dave Kiner. Dave Kiner was in the band, not just like the band that I knew the most, um, called Mal Havoc. Mal Havoc was an industrial metal-ish type of band. Dave played guitar in it. Dave was, one of his first tours he did was with me. And one of my second tours I did was with him. So we had an awesome time um, talking and getting caught up. I learned things about Dave I didn't know. Like he's an actor. I learned that he really loves Iggy and the Stooges. And I did realize that I don't know much about Iggy and the Stooges. Everybody, here's my good friend, Dave Kiner, on the Apologue Podcast. I do have some very odd musical relatives in the family that I can tell you about, which are pretty interesting. Cool. Okay. Okay. And you can actually look this up while you're, you know, while you got the computer there. <laughs> I had this, um, it was my father's cousin. And okay, this, is, this is actually kind of a cool story. A cool, kind of tragic, whatever. <laughs> I was like about 19 years old, 19 years old. I'm at home. And it's like the mid 80s, like the 86. I get this phone call from my uncle. And he phones me up to tell me that there's been like a death in the family, mm-hmm. you know, and I was the only guy at home. So I had to take all the information and it was about my, it was about my uncle and father's cousin who was from Rochester and his name was Barry, Barry Kiner. So I, I take all this information and then I'm asking my uncle, so who was Barry? Tell me about him. And then my uncle sort of slips like, Oh, uh, he was a musician from uh, Rochester and, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was, you know, relatively successful. And I'm like, really? How come I didn't hear about this? And he's like, no, you know, he played with a few people, you know, you know like Buddy Rich. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Buddy Rich? <laughs> that guy. Yeah, that guy. So I start looking it up and then I find out that like he's made like 40 albums with the guy and played with him for 11 years as his main piano player. So he was the guy, he was the piano player in Buddy Rich's Killer Force Band because I think when Buddy turned 50 in 1975, I think what he did was he got rid of his orchestra and then he hired a whole bunch of young guys between the ages of 25 and 30 because he just wanted to, you know, have the youthful energy in his band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because he, he was getting on, so... So he got all these young guys and Barry was the piano player and he liked him so much that he actually had him go into like the Buddy Rich trio as well. So he was in the, in the big band and the, and the trio. And if you, and, and you know, since obviously, you know, YouTube, whatever I type it in and I'm like, Oh my God, there's my uncle Barry on like the tonight show. There's my uncle Barry on Merv Griffin. There he is on like, you know, whatever. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. So your uncle was part of the Buddy Rich tapes where he's freaking out on his band. Well, what it is, see, now that's what I always wondered about. 
because, okay, this is the funny thing. I'm not sure what year those tapes are from, but I had this weird theory that it may be possible that he's yelling at Barry. And there's a reason why. (laughs) Because what I found out was that Buddy was quite intolerant of um, any kind of substance abuse in his band. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think they probably all smoked a bit of weed or something like that, but he was really against any kind of like alcohol, hard substances, anything like that. And it was because I think he had worked, I think because when Buddy started out, he was a drummer at, when he, in, a, in a big band when he was working for a guy who was a big alcoholic. And I think that he found that to be a real problem and that it was just like, look, I've had to work for alcohol for my whole life as a band leader. I'm not, I'm not going to be one and I don't want to tolerate it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, the thing was, though, was that uh, my, see, Barry actually died from drugs. He died from a heroin overdose, from oh. my understanding. How old? Yeah. And apparently, I think he had died on the tour bus. Mm. So the thing is, the fact that Buddy liked Barry enough to tolerate his drug addiction for 11 years and, you know, and all that, and actually have him in all his bands must have been like, so I guess Barry must have been a really cool cat, you know, yeah. because. You know, but at the same time, that's why I have this theory that when he's yelling at the band, I think he's yelling at Barry for fucking up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if anybody knows that, there's a, it's all on YouTube now, but it's Buddy Rich on a tour bus yelling profusely at bands, like over, over saxophones, over mistakes. Um, there's one guy who, wouldn't, who got fired because he wouldn't shave. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's insane. The the because he's like Buddy Rich is saying I've played you know I've, rightly so I've been I've done all these great things all over the place but I think it was at the lower ebb of his, of his career at that point too like there's no real date on it actually when it when it actually went down yeah I'd I'd like to check the the um you know see if we can find it because um as I said I know that I know that Barry played with them from 1975 to 86 Ooh, which okay. is you know pretty extensive I mean you yeah. know 11 years man. yeah. Yeah, and as I said, there's all there's tons and tons of records that he's on. And the funny thing is, is that I had no idea that any of this stuff was happening until the day he died. Oh, and when? What year was that around? Eighty six. Eighty six, right? So you would have yeah. been. Well, you would have been at eighteen, nineteen, I've been at 18, 19, something yeah. like that. And that's like, oh, just that guy, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's it's just sort of an interesting, weird thing, because I guess that because we're all musicians or whatever, we sort of think, well, was there everyone, anyone else in my family that ever did this? Just, you know, doesn't have to be a famous guy or anything, but just like, you know, like, did I ever have an uncle that was a piano player that played in clubs or, you know, and it turned out that I had this really super famous dude. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He's part of your family. What side, your mom or dad's? My dad's side. And were they estranged, your dad and... and, and Yeah. I think they were over the fact that, uh, well, because that part of the family was from Rochester anyway. So they were from the States. So we didn't see them much, mm-hmm. but I think that, may, that there's a possibility that I've never really asked them this, but you see, they were always aware, you know, like of what he was doing and, you know, and this and that. And I think that possibly one of the reasons why I was kept away from it was because maybe they were aware that his lifestyle was, you know, a little bit, you know, up and down. <laughs> yeah, but you were you wanted to be a musician, and you were always playing guitar as a kid, and all the way up until even today. So your parents probably look at your 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 uncle and go, mm, "Let's not uh, let's not you know maybe not 
get him into that. Yeah, because it, was, it, it was sort of like it was sort of like it's sort of like yeah, it's cool to beat the musician guy in the family. But the problem was was that you know since since we do do know that there was a you know a couple of issues there that maybe it wouldn't have been such a good idea at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and you know, was there so your dad never really spoke of them, or was there always just sort of like no? As I said, I never heard of. I never really knew anything about this dude until the day he died. Until my uncle phoned me and, and told me all about it, and I was just like, and I and at the time I just thought. Oh, this is a super ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you could have been ages ten through fourteen and been able to actually hang out while. Yeah. Well, the, the thing was is that you see, in 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 my memory at that point in the early eighties, Buddy Rich had actually played here several times. He did, he did a really big show at Minkler Auditorium. I think I don't know eighty two something like that, and then and then he came back. And he played at the bamboo for a while. I think he did like a week at the bamboo or something. So the thing is, is like, what? I could have gone and seen my uncle for a week and hung out with him. Yeah, and yeah, and actually <laughs> had some me? contact with a musical legend. Yeah, well, that's certainly you know? sucks. <laughs> you know, because it was like, what? I could have gone, just gone down to the bamboo and hung out with my uncle and seen him play with Buddy Rich, but you didn't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> well, now is that part of your family? Is that something in your family where people kind of keep the keep that sort of stuff hidden, or is there a shame involved I, yeah, in that? Yeah, I, 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 I well, I, I guess I learned that it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose. You know what I mean? Because it was just, you know, it's weird. But um, but as I said, it, it it was really a thing where I had never really thought, well, you know, you always think to yourself, well, you know, if you're an artistic kid or something, you know, where does it come from, you know? And I, and I couldn't really see it. Like, my parents were not so involved in that kind of stuff. So I, I could never understand why I was, you know what I mean? Yeah. you know, gravitating towards those kinds of things or whatever. But it explains a lot because you have it in your blood and in your family that, you know, you're a, you're, you're kind of a, a free spirit that will, you know, get on a, get in a van and go on tour kind of thing. You're, you're well, that I, kind I, of guy. Yeah. Right? Well, I, 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 and I guess that's it. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, it was, so it was interesting to find out that that did exist somewhere in the family and that it wasn't actually that too far away from the bloodline wise and it actually wasn't you know what i mean yeah yeah because i you know i have kids now i have two kids and and the biggest fear is as for for having kids is that you don't want them to sort of you don't want them to fail you want them to be have the best leg up possible to you know to succeed and music career is not really a tried and true industry and it's always a coin toss so whether you're happy for the first 20 years of your life being successful or you're going to suffer for 20 years, maybe getting some success in another 20 years, you know? Well, no, I, I agree. And, and, and the thing about it is that, you know, to, to choose something as, as ridiculous as the entertainment business for anything is, you know, it's, it, it seems like it's not a logical choice in life. You know? <laughs> it's not like, you know, it's not like, okay, I'm going to do A and then B and then C and then it's all going to work out. You know, it's it's a bit more haphazard than that, you know. But yeah. I think that, I mean, again, I mean, I don't have any kids. Um, but I do know that if I did have kids, that the thing that would be important to me is that regardless of whatever it is that they chose to do, I would, you know, uh, as a concerned father, always want to make sure that whatever it is that they did, that somehow they could be far more successful than I was. <laughs> of course, of course. And, and, and some, yeah. Like, I keep telling my son jokingly, like, you know, being a lawyer, it's not so bad. <laughs> you know, I'm hey. not, not a big fan of lawyers, but 
there's a there's a life right there, and that means you don't have to live in my basement for an extra twenty years or whatever. Like you just uh, you know go get a job and be a lawyer. But I jokingly say that, but I know that my kids will find their you know we find our route in life, whether we need whether we're looking for it or not. It just all happens, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely, and and it's funny because when you talk about being a lawyer, um, you know, I, I guess I can't really get into details about it, but. Um, uh, but recently I had to learn how to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I, not, I didn't do anything bad. I'm good. I'm, I'm not, I'm not the defense. I'm okay. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I had to learn how to be a lawyer recently over, over an issue. And, um, and let me tell you, um, the thing about being a lawyer is that, uh, I kind of now understand exactly why they charge what they do because it's a really bad gig, man. Yeah. Okay. It's like, I don't understand. I can't see how there's any part of being a lawyer that's really enjoyable. You know, like there's no part of the endeavor that's really like, oh, I look forward to, well, I don't like this part, but I don't mind that part. I look forward to that part. It's like, there's no part of it that you really look forward to. It's mm -hmm. all this kind of like really turgid, long paperwork thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I you think I the mean? success part of it, though, is that if you can do free work or work pro bono stuff, I think that would probably be something that would be rewarding because you're giving, oh, yeah. you're giving back to a community that can't afford you. So maybe that's a thing. Maybe maybe that's what the good part of the job is. is you, you, but well, it's so reverse engineered, though. You're, you're working for nothing, and that makes you happy. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and the thing about it is, um, it's, I mean, obviously the world needs lawyers and, you know, but I'm not sure if we need more lawyers, but we definitely need lawyers, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Somebody have... yeah, take care of that stuff that we, we can't because yeah, a world without lawyers would be pretty crazy. Like I think <laughs> it would be nuts. Yeah. We need that balance. But, Yes, no, no, you definitely need, but as I said, it's just this thing where once I, once you learn how to do it, man, it's a thing where, as I said, you know, it's something where you really got to like be motivated that way and really go, okay, well, by doing this job, I will be able to affect, you know, this thing in society or whatever it is. Like, I think that I, I okay, this is what I think to look at it. I think logically is in other endeavors, it's the actual doing of the work that is enjoyable. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. in that, you know, the, that it's not just about the final product. It's about the process. And that the process is just as um, enjoyable as the end product. It's not like that in law. The process is awful. Yeah. That's what, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's the problem is that the process is never, ever, ever fun. So, so it really only ever is about what you can hopefully affect at the end of the day. Because yeah. what you're going to go through to get to the end of the day is going to be kind of hellish. <laughs> right, right. And the change you make is, is sometimes not like it's, it's, you know, what if you're trying to change things, how people think, you know, say whether it be you're trying to launch a class action lawsuit or you're trying to get somebody off of the, a murder trial that you probably yeah. know they're already guilty. But um, you have to then try to get that person off. That's the part that I, I think be, being a, a crime lawyer or trying to be the defense I, I, that would be that would be kind of nuts because you'd have to like you'd have to really I'd feel dirty I don't know about you well you know um, I the thing about it is I've actually had to um, I, I've at times in my life had to you know have a close examination of things like that um, you know because I'm, I'm in, I have interest in it and uh, 
you know, because when I was younger, everyone really always wanted me to be a lawyer. It was one of those weird things. Mm-hmm. Like, you should be a lawyer. You should be a lawyer. So I was always kind of interested in it. And now, you know, as I got older, you know, certain things happen in life and you go, well, this is time to pick up a law book. Maybe learn about this or whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now it's at the point where I sort of feel that I'm, I'm pretty okay, you know, with, as, as like, with the layman criminal law, you know, I understand it pretty well. And unfortunately, as I said, it's just a thing where, uh, you know, I, I've been through this system and I would like to say that, um, it's something that is, that you can place a lot of faith in, you know, but again, I'm not sure about these things anymore. You know, as I get older, I find myself questioning, um, a lot of institutions, which we hold up as our paradigms, because I see a lot of things happen, which seem to be, you know, maybe not what you would call a miscarriage of justice, but, you know, something not totally ethical and people get away with things and, and you sort of look at it and go, uh, well, that didn't work so well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now you've always kind of been somewhat of an anti-authoritative type of person too. Maybe that's, that's something that you're, is there a gentle bridge between like normality saying that's the normal life and then there's the opposite of it that seems more appealing to you? What, what, what makes, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting question in general, I think for anyone. And, you know, I've honestly never really thought of things in terms of, um, you know, myself against society or something like that, because I'm not, I've never been anti-authority in the sense that, because I'm very like pro-police and things like this, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not any kind of an anarchist actually. (laughs) You know, I actually think that we do need some, you know, we need structure and order and all these kinds of things. And, and I have a great respect for our police force actually. And, and the good work that they do and, and all these things. It's, I think if there's anything that I question, it's, you know, it's, um, a person's, placement in society as an individual and, 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 you know, how do, do they feel effective as an individual in society? You know, like, does your voice matter? Does it or not? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's really what it's about. You know, I mean, because if you have something that is valuable and intelligent and hopefully, you know, progressive and, and meaningful to people and will make, you know, their lives better, you know, how do you get those ideas into society when society doesn't view you as a valuable individual. Yeah, I believe that society kind of makes its own rules. So if if everybody all of a sudden decided that I want to wear a red shirt for the rest of my life and everybody goes, oh, I like that. I'm going to do that too. And despite the reasoning behind it is that society kind of gets that and says, I'm going to think that way as well. You know, look down south. Like this is this is one of those classic examples of people reactionary thinking about where they want the world to go and it's for well, some of it's for the right wrong reasons you know like some well, of it's, it's I, I think i think what it is and i think what what we're what we're both really talking about here mm-hmm. is this is that you see and now maybe again i i look at it you know in a larger perspective because i'm not looking at it in terms of now i'm saying like let, let's go back 20 years 30 years before the internet existed and, and examine it then and see how it's changed And what's interesting is that, you know, we have this magic box, which is supposed to give us all the options in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever we desire, we can find that option. All we have to do is type it in. That's the idea, 
ideally, right? But people don't live like that. That's not how they live. And that's not, that's not the motivation in their thinking. Generally, if you look at, if you talk to people today, the general consensus is, oh, um, you know what? There's six options and I just choose one of those six options. And actually, I don't even want more than those six options. I don't even want to know about more options than that because, because that's not um, hot topic or this or that. Like it has to be always associated to some kind of like, you know, overwhelming branding as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's brand. So, so it's all about branding association to branding. So we have all of these options, but we don't want them. (laughs) Well, you know what I was saying a little bit before is that the world, like society kind of just moves around whether it's the right, what you think is right or wrong, is people just sort of just move into the direction of what society thinks to try and make change in that big, massive ball of society. It's hard. And that's why people stand with signs and they pick it and they try to make change and they try to open people's eyes right or wrong, you know, but well, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, like right now, obviously we have all these, a lot of inflammatory talk (laughs) concerning those issues. And, um, you know, one thing that, I mean, maybe this is just, again, I, I don't want to sound like I have like a disdain for humanity or whatever this or that, but you know, I, I appreciate that people, you know, have things that they need to affect if they are very important in society, especially if they are better, Hmm. but you know, at this age, I have to say that there are far too many special interest groups that I feel actually will exploit um, an innocent person or, or situation just to further their own political agenda. And I see it over and over again. So the thing is, is like, you know, so the right wingers do their thing and that's, and that's supposed to be bad. But then the left wing people go and exploit something, which is, which is, which they say is, oh, the right wing people are doing this to this situation. But then they take that and then then they exploit it. And they don't really care about the people who are being hurt in the situation. It's about furthering the political agenda. Exactly. That's always, that's that's always what it's about. So the thing is, if there's people in in the midst of a situation that have any kind of oppressed or repressive situation happening to them, their so-called freedom fighters don't uh, often don't give a fuck about them. It's true. That's true. I mean, even 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 charity in general, you know, to try and give money to a charity, it's it's <laughs> it's hard to do. You 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 know that twenty thirty percent is going into the CEO's pocket. You know that ten percent pays for all the people that work there, and uh, and so maybe two percent of it actually gets to that poor little child and you know starving somewhere. And and that's charity. Yeah. That's supposed to be giving money for the right of goodness. And somehow it, exactly. got, it got completely exploited and the money doesn't really like get there. But we're all not going to jump on a plane, get our like our, our shots and go try to dig wells in the Congo. Like that's something. No, 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 no that's, that. that's what I'm saying. But the, but the point is, is that you see it is that if you are going to how can I say it? if you're going to be very, very, um, you know, radicalized or have these extreme polarized views, you know, and be very, very adamant about your polarized view, then you kind of should put your money where your mouth is. And you should be the guy to take that money out of your pocket and put it into the situation because you're the guy with the polarized view. (laughs) You're not the moderate guy. Yeah, that's true. It's, 
it's true. It's true. It's true. Wow, that got, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, yeah, that got political real fast. <laughs> No, 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 I'm not talking about it, but it's just ethics, really. Yeah, oh, that's it? true. Yeah, you know what? This There's a lot of ethics talk on this show, too, as well. So, uh, you know. Isn't it just ethics? I mean, I mean, I, cause, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to talk about politics, but isn't that just basic ethics that if yeah. you have a really, really polarized and adamant viewpoint, then you really should be the person to set the example? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because you, you know, it's like if you make a point, then you should sort of live by your point. Uh, you can't, you know, it's, there's so many different ways to, to make a point, but if you, as long as you believe what you say and act like you speak, that's, that is that, you know, that's just the, the epitome of, you know, put your money where your mouth is. I would think so. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, and, and, and even though this is a music show and we're talking about ethics, well, what can I say? You know, like, aren't, aren't musicians always concerned about things like integrity and, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that and, and why you should listen to their music and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you know, I don't think you should ever listen to anything for any particular reason, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to say <laughs> that, you know, it, it would, it would be nice to know that the people who are doing things have some sort of like ethical foundation. Well, that's yeah, nice. absolutely. That, that's, that's an important part of art generally is, is having a foundation that you say what you mean and you mean what you say, because otherwise you just turn into a trend follower and then you try to repeat what was popular and then you don't really make change. And, you know, that, you know that's a deep-rooted conversation about the innovators, you know, are the ones that starve and, and the ones that, you know, uh, copy them are the ones that make all the money or they, you know, that, that's, that's been going on forever, man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. Of course. Of course. Of course. Well. Anyway, I I can talk about any current rock and roll if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. You know. Well. Let's talk. Do you? How's things with the Mal Havoc thing? Is is that a? Is that a? The band. Mal- I have no idea what they're doing really. Um. Uh. I don't really. I don't really have much contact with those guys. Like I think that they're just doing their thing, and they. That I. All I know. All I know is that they went and did a reunion show and they did the get down record um, because they, it was an anniversary of the record, I guess. And this yeah. was, I don't know, it was last year. Was it last year or two Co- years ago? Maybe, I don't a remember. couple of years ago. Yeah. A couple of years ago. No, I know. And I know they did the show and, and I wasn't asked to play it. And I, I think I, I haven't had a look recently, but I think I wrote about 30% of the record. So, <laughs> so all I can say is, is like, um, yeah, I hope you guys had a really great time playing my songs. Yeah, well, I mean, is that is is that an old old gripe or is that just just? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I I would I have no idea what what people um, think or carry in their heads. I really don't know. I I only know that at, at this point I'm I'm quite a uh, well. I I feel like a rather well balanced middle aged man. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sane. I feel pretty good about myself. Yeah. I'm okay with it. If anyone else has an issue with it, I can't really worry about that too much. Yeah. No, I understand if it's a completely new record and in reincarnation and, and whatever, whatever you want to throw at it. I get it. Fresh slate, clean slate, whatever you want to, fresh canvas. I get that. But when you're trying to do something that's sort of an anniversary, it, it should be, it, everybody should be there. Shit, I wasn't even invited to come down and mix it. I thought I'd be the mixing guy. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, yeah, well, there you go, man. <laughs> you know, 
you know, it, w- it would have been kind of nice if I'd played some guitar and you, and you had mixed the shows. I think that would have been really nice to have uh, had a little reunion with you over that uh, particular context, whatever. But it what it did not happen, so we're doing it now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, well, because t- traveling in those days in a van, that's kind of the first tour you did, right? I knew it was the second, yeah. real, third, maybe the second or third tour, maybe that I, no, fourth tour that I'd ever done in my whole life. So we're all green. We're all getting in a van and we're driving across, you know, the Canada and looking at stuff. Hey, and, you know what? I'll still get in a van. And yeah. you know what? I'm going to do it next month for a few shows. Yeah, where are you going? Sure. You know what? Uh, well, okay. So we'll talk about some current music. Actually, yeah, let's do that, yeah. Uh, well, what, what am I doing? Okay. One of the things I'm doing now is, um, one of the things I'm doing is I play guitar in my friend Steve's band, which is Poppy Seed and Love Explosion, who've been around for a while. And um, there's some shows happening in the U.S. Um, on the 16th, 17th, 18th of March. I think it's New York, Boston, Philadelphia. You know, Mercury Lounge, all those joints. Um, and, oh, no, is it Mercury Lounge? Or are we play? No, no, it's Bowery Electric. Sorry, it's Bowery Electric, New York. Um, and uh, And it's cool because, you know, we just do these little mini tours and we don't have to, like doesn't have to be a big thing you know we just get in the van and do it yeah you know yeah and uh we did it last year and it was a lot of fun we actually went down to uh the southern states and uh and you know i had never been to like nashville or memphis or new orleans before and uh and that was wonderful (laughs) yeah yeah how'd you get down there did you work papers and all that stuff uh yeah yeah we, we we did it all legitimately of course and uh we went down and um and we did like uh I used a three week tour and, uh, and it was great. Um, I'd never been to New Orleans before and that is really one wild town, man. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had many crazy nights in, in New Orleans. Um, it, it's insane. To, it's an insane town and you really got to watch where you walk. That's what I was going to say is that there's a lot of really cool, really friendly people. And then there's a lot of really sketchy, dangerous looking people. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, there's some really dangerous looking people there. Like, I think it's the kind of place where it would be pretty easy to get nice on the street. Oh, easy, easy, easy. Well, like, so really what, easy. What time were you? Well, what time of the year were you down there? Uh, we were there. Uh, it was, um, I guess it would have been, okay, it would have been about, was it November or December? Oh, yeah, okay. It was, it was November, November 2015. Okay. Yeah, so just about like 13, 14 months ago. Yeah. And, um, and it was great. Yeah. I, as I said, I just loved it. One of the things I really loved, okay, I don't know if you've ever done this. You ever been to Graceland, man? It was that? You ever been to Graceland? Uh, but drove by it. I've never been in there, no. You did not, you didn't go in. You didn't no, go in? No, I never went inside, no. Simon, let me tell you something, man. <laughs> you got to go visit the king. Oh, yeah? Oh, well, you do. Isn't there still like, like, because I know well, before I toured with SNFU, they took the Graceland tour. And uh, I remember Chai Pig joking with the guy saying, is this the toilet where Elvis died? And uh, they completely rewrote the history books uh, in, in Graceland but where Elvis actually died. Oh, I think there's probably a lot of, I mean, whatever, there's probably a lot of, not me a lot, but maybe a few, you know, revision things, you know, yeah. just to make things seem all nice and clean. But yeah. the thing is, when you do the tour, this is what's cool about it, is that, it, it's not even so much to find out about like the history of Elvis. It's more just like you get this weird little insight into actually what he may have been like as a person, mm. because what the tour is, is that you know, it's the main floor of the house 
and the basement and then all the grounds, but you never actually get to go to the top floor because the top floor was like the private sanctuary and it still is like if the family are there, you know what I mean? Right. So nobody ever goes to the top floor of the house. But what's interesting is that the house is not actually that big. It's about, it's a standard ranch home built about a hundred years ago. Not that ostentatious in any way. Um, you know, there's houses in North York that are bigger than this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually not that big. Um, and it, and it's really nicely decorated. Like everyone thinks, Oh, Elvis, he you know, must've had this weird tacky taste. No, no, no. The house is beautifully, really nicely decorated you know, in the contemporary style of its time. And there's only really one room that you would call like, you know, cheesy or tacky. And it's supposed to be that. Like, it's like the irony was not lost on him. (laughs) Like the jungle room is the jungle room because it's the jungle room. You know what I mean? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's crazy pictures of that. Yeah, but that's the only room like that. The rest of it's really nice. Like, that's the only sort of like, you know, wild looking, cheesy, tacky thing. Yeah. Right, right. And how do you know, so walking through there, you had that feeling that, oh, this is, it's kind of like a, it's like, oh, this is where a famous person lived. Like you have that well, feeling? What, well, here's what's cool. It's like, what you see is that you see, okay, we've all seen all these pictures of Elvis our whole lives, right? Like, you know, whether he's just like sitting on the couch or playing guitar or whatever, right? So as you go through the house, like there was this, when you go to the basement, there's like, there's a super fucking cool rec room, man, which has got like three TVs in the wall, built into the wall, remotes, this unbelievable leather furniture with like that's in bright canary yellow and all this stuff. It's a, it's a, sort of like the height of 1974, you know, whatever, Naga Hyde fashion or something. It's fucking awesome looking. And you've seen tons of pictures of Elvis sitting on this couch, like playing bass and stuff. And apparently this is where he entertained the Beatles. When they came over and when they played like Monopoly with real money was in this rec room. So, so you, so you, so you're actually in that room. So I was there with Steve and I, and and we're just looking at each other and I go, let's forget the tour. Let's just sit down on the couch and order a fucking pizza and never leave. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) you just don't want to, you're just like, you know what? I could live in this room forever. This is wicked. (laughs) Right. I get so when, sir, you obviously were into rock and roll when you were a kid and stuff. So that's sort of like, was were you a Beatles kid or were you an Elvis kid? Oh yeah, Beatles. Beatles or Stones? Well, Beatles first, right? Beatles because first, we all yeah. like the Beatles. Because you know, when you're a kid, well, when you're a kid, blues is weird, but we all know how to go, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so obviously it's Beatles first, but actually, you know, it's uh, what? Well, the thing that was cool was that as a kid, even though like. You know, I guess I grew up in the punk rock generation or whatever, you know, kind of thing. Thing is, you know, you listen to the radio, AM radio, you're growing up all the pop stuff. And they used to have on AM radio, on like Chum and stuff in like the late 70s, all these super cool things where it would be like, oh, it's Beatles weekend. So, yeah, we're going to play the top 30, but every second song will be a Beatles song. Mm -hmm. So if you're a kid and you only had a certain amount of money for records, you just knew that you listened to the Beatles weekend and you just hear every fucking song you wanted to hear. Yeah. It's like me and Green Day. (laughs) It was awesome, you know? It's like like me listening to Green Day. It's like I've never owned a Green Day record. I can hear it anytime I want. (laughs) Yeah. No, it was great. And actually, I think, what was the first Beatles? You know what? First Beatles record I got, Beatles Blue, 67 to 70. That's a big one for the, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. A lot of kids bought that one first. You know what I mean? That was, because yeah. it had like, you know, a lot of the stuff. It was a double, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So yeah, Beatles first is Beatles. You know what? Even to this day, I I would say that like if something comes out and it's a Beatles thing and I've never heard it, I gotta hear it. <laughs> right, right. Now, did you hear the the Naked album, Beatles Naked? Let it be Naked. Yeah, I did. And and the funny thing is, is it's is that I actually kind of already had it because that that's actually been a pretty famous bootleg for a long time. Okay. Yeah, and and all and all it really is, it's just kind of like the mixes without before Phil Spector did it. Yeah, because Phil Spector kind of took it after, the Beatles were pretty much done, and he took it and put all that crazy stuff on it, and apparently they hated it, and they were like really yeah, he upset put all, he by put it. All, he put all those syrupy strings along a winding road, yeah. and you know, yeah, things like that, yeah. Yeah. Which, it, you know, which, I, I mean, it never bothered me. I mean, for me, it was always like, well, that was the copy of Let It Be. That was the standard version for a long time. You know what I mean? So right. that was just the version. You know? It's pretty much, it's pretty much verbatim let it be unless when you're listening to let it be it seems like it's a different third verse when you're hearing the song let it be oh that's right actually yes that's yeah. true because the other the other let it be had this weird little tom thing but this is more like straight 16th notes on on the on the hi-hat kind of take and it seems like a different vocal take to me it's funny that oh. we, we can sit there and analyze like that you know that that came out f- like in the 60s and here we are or in 70s or like early 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 70s but we're like talking about that and analyzing like the third verse of a song like that's oh and you know here's here's another weird one about that record it's funny that you brought that up because um uh the fellow who's been playing uh, drums in um in in that uh Stooges band that I have is uh Jim Bravo and he's from um, Ecuador hmm. and he's been corresponding with this girl named Lizzie Bravo, who's actually from, not related, but uh, she's from Brazil. And she was one of, she was a person who hung around with the Beatles at Apple during that time. And she does, she's, she's the girl that does the high backing vocals on Across the Universe. No way. Yeah. Yeah. What happened was like, she was just a friend of theirs and she was like, she would hang around the Apple building, but she never really worked there. So they were like, they were recording one day and they were like, Hey Lizzie, can you sing? We need, we need the high part. Come on in and do it. And she did. And I think she was like 14 or 15 years old. Oh my God. And that across the universe isn't, isn't that, is that the song that uh, John Lennon's singing on his back or is there a different song? Yeah. 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 That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So so she, she does the high, nothing's going to change my world part. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, and, and so Jim's corresponding with her, and he's getting all this info, and she sent him, she actually sent him photos of her with John Lennon in 67 and all this, and he showed them to me, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's insane. And, yeah, and she I was, know. but she is, is she British, or, or was she just... I think I, she's from Brazil, okay. and I'm not sure where she lives now, but, but Jim's been corresponding with her, and she's been sending him all this stuff, oh and God. he's shown it to me, and I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> There's people like that, and you know what? That's you know? it's hilarious. That is so, that so over yeah. the is so that the internet thing on across the universe is around. Is that internet connection or is that by like letter mail stuff? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that some crazy? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I know. So you're um, I know. So you're Stooges band. Um, you're singing in oh, that, yes, right? That's lots of fun. Yeah, you're singing in that, right? It's lots of fun. Yeah. What's that? Are you singing in that, or are you? Because yeah, you yeah. know what? I you know this is funny. I've never actually been in a band where I just sang never, ever because I've never gone to rehearsal without a guitar in my hand or whatever. Yeah. Right. And then I just kind of thought to myself, you know, I thought, I just want to have a, I just like the original bands and, you know, doing all that. I thought, well, you know, it's always kind of fun to have a party band, isn't it? Oh, yeah. 
where it's just a bunch of guys you get together and you can just do these songs and you can kind of play anywhere and it's always good because you know you just do it well so we just kind of thought well what do people like mm-hmm. you know what i think i think people love the stooges <laughs> <laughs> you think I think people love the Stooges, you know? Yeah. I really do. I think in the year 2017, people love the Stooges. I wouldn't have said that in 1987. No. No, I actually... Assume, okay? Yeah. In 1987, I would have said, I love the Stooges. Yeah. You don't know who they are yet. Yeah, yeah. So let's, <laughs> let's yeah, let's not, let's not play that yet. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, you don't know these songs yet. But, yeah, so, but... So now that it's 2017, I think everybody loves the Stooges, just yeah. the way everybody loves the Ramones. Everybody loves Motorhead. Come on, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, it's, it's funny because the Ramones have had a free pass in punk rock since they were the band, since like the early, mid, well, or like 74, whatever. But, but the Stooges were, were more punk rock, in my opinion, when it came to, you know... The music, the lifestyle, the recording technique, everything seemed way more punk rock to me. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about actually the, um, about learning it, because the thing was, is that we figured, okay, we want to do a party band. But on the other hand, we also figured if we do this really, really well, then it's just, it's a bit more of a party band. We can actually do really good gigs or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So we figured, okay, we're going to do this really, really well and actually take it seriously and, and really deconstruct the records and learn every part really exactly the way it was played. Mm-hmm. And funny thing is, is that, you know, again, after all these years, you know, it's still that thing of like, well, you know, the Stooges were okay. Yeah, the first two records, could they really play? Well, they were pretty good for being an app, whatever. Uh, you know what? If you deconstruct those records, it's, again, it's one of those things where, sure, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not complex chord changes. They're not complex chord shapes. But what is complex about it is the feel, the timing, the accents. Um, there is so much subtlety going on in that music, and it is so precise. Mm. It, you know, in its subtlety that if you, it's sort of like if you do the subtle move, but you do it in the wrong spot, it's just all wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. My friend uh, Marco brought Raw Power, like the remixed mastered version of it. I don't know. If mm-hmm. you, yeah, I brought it over to, and he played it for me. And it was me. I sort of knew, everybody kind of knew about the studios, but when I heard the recording technique and I heard how they remixed this album, I was like, and but the funny thing that was not subtle was some of the solos. You're just like, you know, and you're like, this is great, and that's the feeling. You know, that's the feeling. Well, you, you know, get from it. again, that's the other thing is that is that really you got to look at it. and You go, well, they, they, it really was two different bands because the raw power version of the band. I mean, it's 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 a different guitar player and bass player than it is on the first two albums. So it really is a different band. Mm-hmm. Right, even though Ron is consistent through it, on the third album he's playing bass and not guitar. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so the thing is, and the Ron material and the James material is really, really radically different in terms of its um, compositional approach. In that, with the Ron, with the first two albums, it's almost like he's laying out a very heavy sonic landscape. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, it, it's a sonic landscape and it's heavy and it's crushing like a bulldozer, but because it's a landscape, you can sing over it or, or you can sing within it. Do you know what I'm saying? You yeah. can sing in the middle of it. Like you, you you don't have to be under it 
or above it, you can be within it because it's a landscape. Yeah, there's enough space whereas, around. Yeah, whereas when you whereas when you get when you when you really analyze the James Williamson composed stuff, it's a lot more um, structurally complex. Um, there's a lot more chord changes. There's more chord shapes. It's much more like it's almost like. Um, a hyperkinetic, hyper audio version of Jeff Beck guitar playing. Does that make any sense? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you if you took like that like that that a guy who had like the ability of Jeff Beck and you said, okay, you can play as good as Jeff Beck, but we're we're just going to dumb it down a bit and make it punkier. <laughs> yeah, dirty it up. Yeah. Yeah, but but you know, just dumb it down a bit so we're not quite as technical, but almost, you know. <laughs> and, it's, and it's because James really does have that ability to play that well. So yeah. so the compositions have all like the compositions instead of having like say two or three parts they might have like seven okay yeah 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 you know what i mean yeah. like they might and and and, and it might and, and it might not be so there might be like one or two main parts like verse chorus but there'll be like five other kind of like sub parts you know what i mean right. like like a bridge or a middle bridge or a mini bridge or this or that so so it all becomes actually much more structurally complex you know mm -hmm. and, and to the point where when you're actually trying to figure it out um, I remember there was a couple of tunes, uh, one of them being like hard to beat, Pretty Faces Going to Hell, where, where we were figuring out, we were like, holy fuck, this song's hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like no, it's it's actually legitimately hard. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, it's a thing where like, no, you can't play this as a beginning musician. You actually have to know how to play. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, was to it get the writing technique, down. like them all like being in the room writing it? Or was it? Like how 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 can you? Explain? I don't know how they did it. I I according to at least I, whatever. If you go see the movie, Give Me Danger. I think okay. I think the idea was that I think James just came up with these insanely fast riffs and would just present them and they would just write over it and then say, okay, well, I think what they said was that all his riffs are, are twice as fast when he brings them into the band, so we half time them and then write over them. <laughs> so funny. all I can say is is like. If the songs are initially twice as fast as when they're recorded, then holy smokes, dude, he was writing stuff faster than Motorhead in 73. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, when you're talking about like a band like the Stooges, they've just been around and now people are coming in and discovering them for the first time. And we can now because of technology and because... Well, you know, I'm, here's what's interesting. If you, there's a documentary a Dutch documentary that was made about 30 years ago. And in it, um, it's on, it's on YouTube. It's, it's about an hour long. It's, it's an Iggy pop, it's an Iggy pop documentary, but they actually go to Ann Arbor and they interview Ron Ashton and all that. And when they interview Ron Ashton, he, they basically say like, you know, what do you think the potential of this band could have been if you had stayed together? And he basically says, you know, the reason why I think it's such a drag that we broke up, you know, um, when we did, he goes, because it doesn't matter which version of it was, whether I was the guitar player or the bass player. The point was, was that I felt that if we stayed together, you know, and kept making records because I, I knew how strong our music was, because I know that our music was so strong that if we stayed together, I feel that we could have become like the American Rolling Stones. And that's what he says. He says, we could have become like the American Rolling Stones. And it's interesting that now they really are the American Rolling Stones. Yeah, and it, it just much. it took thirty years for that to happen, right? But yeah, and it, but it did happen. Yeah, yeah, that seems like you know. So, the, so, 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 I would say they pretty much are the American Rolling Stones at this point. No question about it. Yeah, no, that that's that's awesome. That's awesome to say that because 
it's always it took it took what 35 40 years before you know or even 50 years for a band like that to be recognized and that's hopeful like to for all of us really that you know that well you know i'll tell you something funny i at, at the at the reunion gig like that was in detroit the one that's on the cream magazine dvd that was done about whatever like when they got first back together about 10 12 years ago yeah um, I went, I went to go, that show was supposed to be, was scheduled on the day when there was the massive blackout. You remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. When we had the whole Eastern seaboard blackout thing, you yeah, know? Yeah. So that was, so the show was scheduled that day and I was with friends and we drove about halfway there and we had to turn back because of the blackout and we were running out of gas and we actually found one station that still had gas and we made it back, but there was people stranded on the road, everything. It was crazy. So then the show got rescheduled for 10 days later because of the blackout and they still honored all the tickets and everything. So we went back and I'm wandering through the crowd and, and this friend of mine says, Hey, um, I know this is weird, Dave, but there's this guy over there and I think you know him. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you do. And then I look across and, and, and I was like, Oh, Hey, and what's up? <laughs> Who was it? It was Blurty. Oh, Ian Blurton. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Nice to run into Blurton at the Stooges. You know what I'm saying? He's my favorite person on earth. Isn't he, though? Oh, my gosh. Um, what a what a guy. Like, I can't believe how much he still loves music. Like, he's been on the show twice. And the, yeah. the music he he produces, and he produces every day. He works every day. And I know. I I... I just I remember talking to him after he'd left Chemical and he was talking about um yeah I just got this new space it's sort of down in by off Cherry Street or whatever and you know I lowered my rates and I'm working every day. I'm like, "Really? Is that a wise move?" He goes, "Yeah, it's the best thing for me." And so I I know he's been working every day because actually um Russ Fernandez who plays bass in um Giver Danger, which is the Stooges band that I have, um he he shares the the space with Ian actually oh. the cherry street space his band does i'm mercy now yeah yeah okay yeah it's the mercy now space so that's where ian's working at it so so i so actually i've been talking to Russ, and he said and he told me that he heard um some of ian's new solo record which which is not which is not the public animal stuff it's just, i don't know what he's going to call it whether it's just to be called ian blurton or whatever but um he has some new solo thing which he heard and he was like, he goes, Dave, it's astonishing. He goes, it's just like this super heavy double kick ultra metal. And I'm like, really? What? I got to hear that. Wow. Yeah. A pair, and yeah, Nick Sewell plays bass on it. I think he's got all these super heavy local musicians. I'm dying to hear that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, he's definitely my favorite person on earth. Like, because uh, I met him, he produced the first record on one of the first real bands, like in the 2000s that I put together. And uh, he had so much sort of... Um, encouraging words you know when you start a band for the first time you're like always a little bit like oh gosh how, what's gonna happen and he just sort of made the le the comfort level so much more easier and that's that's a gift he has and not a lot of people have that gift right uh-oh oh hang on here hello hello oh sorry so i thought i was losing you here i, I had a i had a problem here for a second okay i'm better <laughs> yeah no ian's uh the best ian's the best He's a great well, you know, I, it, you know, and the thing is, is that, um, I think that, um, I think I can honestly say that he might be one of the people that I've actually known longest in my life that I'm still friends with. Really? Yeah. I, I probably met him about, I don't know, 35 years ago. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he's I definitely. Think it, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I think it was close to 35 years ago. Was it change, <laughs> it must have been Change of Heart days then. Uh, no, no, no this, no. this was long before Change of Heart. Like, I think we were like five years old. I, what happened was I tripped over his Chuck Berry records in kindergarten. What? So you've known him that long? I'm just making a check. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, like, no, yeah, you made Heart. yourself 40 years old. By Heart, the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? You made yourself 40 years old there, by the way. Yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Just a joke. Yeah. Uh, no, it was it was Change of Heart. It was right when he started Change of Heart, actually. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, no. That's that's a Toronto uh, staple point in rock and roll for sure. You know, he uh he really uh you know, he still lived at his mom's house when he produced our record. And I, I, is his mom still around? His mom was cool I too. I don't know actually. Although the funny thing is I see his sister um sometimes because his sister Heather works in film. And um so occasionally I walk into a film set and she's working. You know? <laughs> yeah, so what do you yeah. you know, what's your day to day job these days? What are you what are you doing? Believe it or not, I'm actually an actor. Really? Yeah. What you acting at? What am I acting at? Okay. Well, <laughs> if you if you if you go on the old uh, let's see, is it on Showcase? Yeah. Okay. Right now there was a show on called um, Incorporated, which I have a small role in, not a big one, just a small one. Um, uh, it's a it's it's a big sci-fi show. It's on the Sci-Fi Channel in the states. I think it's on Showcase here. It's produced by Affleck and Damon, who I've never met. So, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't have their autographs. Never met them. Um, the show's called Incorporated. And um, it's a sci-fi show. It's on Showcase and the Sci-Fi Network. And um, I, it's been renewed for a second season, I believe. And I play a character on it named Victor, who runs the bad part of town. There's good part of town, bad part of town, dystopian future, just ultra-rich and ultra-poor. And... Uh, I work in the ultra poor part of town, but I'm I'm sort of like a guy in the know. So if you need something, you got to come to me. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a fun to have a little role like that. It's great, um, and my character's still alive. So now that it's been renewed for a second season, I hope that I get renewed because you know it's always nice to keep your job. TV's <laughs> funky that way now, where they'll just kill off characters willy nilly. They don't they don't even care anymore. Oh man, it's nuts! Like um, I actually. Okay, I have a friend whose sister was in the X Files, actually, oh. and yeah, and um, and she was a uh, she was actually a major character, and uh, and I remember him telling me every week it was like she would get her script and she would always be worried about whether she was going to get killed off or not. <laughs> well, you know, could it you imagine like, them killing off Mister Carter? I don't think they would. You know what? It's 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 kind of odd because one of the things that has actually changed. Okay, this is weird, but I'll tell you what it was that actually changed that whole um, playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of like who we're going to hire and who we're going to fire and and who we're going to keep around for a while. Here's what it is. I can actually explain to you the history of it, and it's sort of interesting. When Alfred Hitchcock made Psycho in 1960, he he figured out that if he hired like a very, very famous actress, you know, Janet Lee, and he had her as the star of the movie, but he would kill her off within the first half hour, then it would just shock audiences because they would be like, wait a minute, this movie starred Janet Lee. That's why I went to go see it. She got killed in 20 minutes? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. But she is the star of it because the first 20 minutes is just her, right? Yeah, that's true. You know, and then she gets, oh, first 20 minutes, half hour, whatever, and then she gets killed off. But the thing is, her role in the film is completely unforgettable, and you don't you don't forget like a single frame that she's in. So so even though she's only in like say you know twenty percent of the movie, 
she's still the star of the movie and she gets killed off in the beginning. Now, so that was a whole new kind of paradigm, you know, which, which Hitchcock created, which was not really copied by too many people because I think that, that they, they couldn't really think of a su- successful scenarios in which to do it. And then what happened was when Scream came out about whatever, 20 years ago, yeah. they did the same thing with Drew Barrymore. And ever since then, that has become a thing. You know what I'm getting at? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, like, they were so going to do it in. Thing. They were going to do it in so, uh, the first episode of Lost. They were going to kill right. off Michael Keaton, who was supposed to be the pilot. And he, right. he was the guy that was supposed to bring people, you know what I mean, like to the show yeah. immediately, but they didn't even cast him as that. <laughs> exactly. And, and as a matter of fact, I even saw it done in a film about 10 years ago, which I actually thought was outstanding. Did you ever see Children of Men? No. You should see that movie. That movie's fucking amazing, dude. Um, it's a great science fiction film. Um, Clive Owen, Michael Caine, Julian Moore. Uh, yeah. It's directed by, um, you know, the... Um, you know, the Mexican guy who did, uh, 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 Harry Potter and, um, whatever, the third one, and he did Gravity. You know what I'm talking about. I believe I do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mexican director is really, really good. I forget his name right now. It just, just escapes me, but he's a fantastic director. He did Children of Men. And, um, and again, it's, it's Julian Moore's in it, and she gets killed within like the first 15, 20 minutes. And when she does, you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know so, what I mean? So were you always an act like into acting? Like what, 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 what sparked that spark? Uh, here's what it was. When I was a kid, I, I was always asked to do plays in school, blah, blah, blah. And I always did that stuff. So I guess what you were talking about, Al, like, you know, just being like a theater kid a yeah. little bit, you know what I mean? And just doing that stuff in school. So I did a lot, a lot of that. And then when I got into the music thing, I kind of dropped it because I just sort of thought, well, I'm just kind of into playing music now. I, I don't like playing pretend anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And then I realized that that was a really um, wrong-headed way to think because if you're really good at playing pretend, they pay you. Yeah, absolutely. And, they can pay, and sometimes like they pay you. Some people get paid like 15 to $20 million per movie to play pretend. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable, dude. Yeah. So, so once I realized that you could make all this money playing pretend, I sort of figured that I should get good at that again. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And um, so what happened was about, I guess it's, it's a couple decades ago now. I, w- I was offered some roles in some independent films, and I did them, and it worked out really well. So I just figured, well, if I can get into the union, then then I'll be able to actually get some work done. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That I can really get something done. So after I did a couple of independent things, um, I was actually playing a gig at the Elma Combo, and this guy came up to me and he said, are you an actor? And I said, well, I'm not in the union, but I have done these films and they got released. And he was like, that's great. He goes, because uh, I'm casting for a Budweiser commercial and I think that you'd be the right guy, blah, blah, blah. So come down to the audition tomorrow. So I went to the audition without you know, any agent representing me or anything, and I got the gig. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I so I actually got this big American Budweiser commercial um, about I guess it was about 17 years ago, and and it was a national U.S. ad. So so the money on it was pretty good. I was like I, I think I made like about fifteen thousand bucks. Wow! And I was like, wait a minute, I just made fifteen thousand dollars to play pretend for a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should stay doing this job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know. Yeah. And now I'm not saying now. Believe me. 
I don't make that kind of money in everything you do. That was a really, I mean, it, it, it's sort of an anomalous, unique thing that a Canadian actor gets an American national commercial. Like, that was a really fluky, lucky thing to happen because, you know, it's usually American actors that get American national commercials, not Canadian ones. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, so, so it, it just happened to be a fluky thing that they were shooting it all up in Toronto, so they were going to use all local actors, and, and I happened to be one of them because I lucked out on that. Yeah. But, um, but the thing is, uh, what I figured was that, you know, as um, stage performers, you know, which we all are, I, I can actually even tell you, you know, what the, what the great correlation between, say, what you and I would do on stage as a musician as opposed to an actor. I can actually tell you what it is. Mm-hmm. There's actually a, a technical, there's a very straight technical correlation. And, and so as musicians, you know, we're, we're always trying to, you know, project what we do. So if we can affect the guy in the last row, then we would automatically assume that everybody in front of him is affected the same way because we got the guy in the last row. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so, so basically, as an actor, wherever the camera is, is the last row. Hmm. Yeah. So sense. if the camera's way, way far away, then you can project... And, and be big in your performance, you know, and, and kind of like hop around a bit and whatever, right? Because you've got the room and the space to do it. But if the camera's really close, you've got to be kind of stationary. Because you, essentially, wherever the camera is, the, is the last row. And if you can adjust your performance to the last row all the time, and you can remember your lines, then actually you can be a TV actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my other thoughts are about that is that Generally, when you're singing or you're speaking to an audience and people are clapping along, that means somehow they're thinking like you. So when, when, you, uh, when you say, hey, everybody put your hands together and they all clap their hands, they want to be like what you're doing. It's, it's, uh, it's, I forget even what the clinical term is. But when you're acting and you can, even on the other side of that lens, there's a bunch of people watching that. They're thinking like you. And that is effective well, acting. Exactly. And, and, and see... You, you got it. You nailed it. And the thing is, they're on your side. Mm-hmm. See, they're not there to criticize your performance. They're there to be entertained. So if you can sweep them away, you know, with, you know, with the suspension of disbelief, then that's exactly what they want. Yeah. You know, that's why they paid their money, mm-hmm. to have their disbelief suspended. So if you're supposed to be a cop... And, you know, Simon Head walks in wearing the cop uniform. I don't sit there and go, oh, that's Simon Head in the cop uniform. I just go, no, that's a cop. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because that's what you want to do. You want to escape. You want to escape that whole, you know, the um, whatever. That's why you go to movies, right? You don't want to think. Exactly. You want to think differently. So, so, so I'm not going, oh, that's just Simon in a cop. And I'm going, no, no, that's a cop. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's a cop. So I'm willing to believe that you're a cop because I need to go along with this. Yeah. Yeah, that's you true. Know, like, that's true. Yeah. You know, so, so, so the thing is, once you're in the wardrobe, kind of 50% of the work is done for you before you even open up your mouth and say a single word of dialogue. Yeah. Because if you're supposed to be the cop and you're in a cop uniform, you're a cop. Yeah, you start <laughs> saying, go ahead and real fast for me and all the cops speak and things like that, yeah. That's it, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so in a way, there is... So basically, if there's any trick to doing it, I'll say this. The trick is 
don't act. Just remember your lines and allow the wardrobe to do its work for you. Well, that's No, that's that's good advice. I mean, absolutely good advice. I don't know if I'll be uh, trying out for any uh, big roles, but uh, I'm sure anybody who's listening, would that that's good advice to take home. Um, well, you know what? It, it's just a matter of, as I said, people always ask me about, well, what's the difference between being an actor and being a musician? I'm like, well, there is a difference, but it's not that big a difference. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You're, 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 yeah, it's, well, I mean, the people say the stage acting versus um, acting on film and things like that. There's obviously craft you need to sort of to, to hone. And, and, you know, I'm, the other B part of this is that, is that some people are kind of born with that. That that understanding it it just becomes ingrained in their soul. Maybe that's like your your uncle. Maybe he's coming back to you somehow. Like that's well, you know, I would actually think that you know I've done a lot of I've done a lot of TV and and, and movies now, and um, and the funny thing is is that I still think that actually acting on stage is really a serious serious challenge, um, even if you're like a really really accomplished. TV or film actor, the reason being, it's for one very straightforward thing, is that as a TV or film actor, you don't have to have a great memory, you know, Mm -hmm. because everything that you're doing is always in these little pieces, right? right? So you're doing this little, so you're doing like a scene and maybe that scene has like three or four camera setups in it. So basically all the dialogue that, that you're remembering is just for that one camera setup at that moment. Right. You don't have to remember the entire script. All you've got to remember is like that page. Yeah. That's it. And stage acting, okay. stage acting, you're like, if you're, if your co-actor fucks up, then you're the one that has to sort of do a little tap dance and try to get them out of it or try to prompt them without making yourself and them look like complete idiots. Well, that's, well, that's where it is like music. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's where it becomes like a thing where it's like, okay, if you and I were on stage and it was just like, all right, guys, go on stage. It's a two hour show. Um, you guys know what songs you're playing, but, Hey man, it's two hours. And, uh, so about a good 15, 20 minutes of this is going to be, you know, you guys playing off of each other mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And the thing is we as musicians have to know how to pick up the ball, right? Yeah. That's what makes strong bands. You know, it goes back to your, our, our Stooges conversation is that there's four pillars or five pillars that keeping it all together. Absolutely. And, and, and every player has to know how to pick up the ball. Yeah. 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 Everybody. Yeah. That's true. It's Everybody's got to know how to pick up the ball, man. Yeah. yeah. It's good teamwork too, right? Like, but you know, in stage acting and things like I see it a bit, I see where I work and, you know, I, I know that, you know, when it, even if a community theater group comes through, you know, the good ones, you know, you see the good ones, you go, that's a good one, you know, or a good person. That's, that's a good, that's a talented person. You know, yes. I don't know if they're a good person. Generally, yeah, yeah. generally they're, they're not that, <laughs> but the, you can see the talent. Like, it's it's obvious. Like some people that come through and you go, oh, that person's gonna be that person's a star. Like like mm-hmm. them or not, I just worked the tea party show, and Jeff is a star. He's a star. Yes. He, he he's a rock star. You know. Yes. And he definitely likes being a rock star. Like I don't. I could you imagine walking through like Zare or through like Loblaws like with that outfit on, like trying to shop for stuff. <laughs> yeah. No. I I couldn't. I couldn't imagine like walking. <laughs> With that kind of get up on, yeah. No. <laughs> well, I, I like, get, like, go ahead. No, I can say maybe maybe it would have worked in about 1975 or something. You know, that's you know, right. But, yeah. No, but it's just so amazing. Like you look at him and you go, like that man. 
like him, like I said, like him or not, that guy's a fucking rock star. Like, and everybody in their life kind of wants to be like that guy, you know, in a way, right? Like somehow or another, there's people. That well, are- anybody that's playing music, I mean, desires, you know, they des- we all desire whatever level of success that we feel we would be comfortable with. Yeah. regardless of like the stardom aspect, even when, you know, we think about it realistically, you know, wouldn't it be great to be in a band where no matter where you went in the world, there was always say 1500 people that wanted to hear you play. Yeah. See what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be a million. doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to be like a stadium or in, in every, you know, it's, let's say there's like, you know, a thousand to 2000 people who want to hear what you do, no matter where in the world you go. You know what? I think that that might be the best kind of success of all. I agree. I agree. Even, even 200, try to get like, go to Europe and try to get 200 people a night into your venue to, to, or into any venue. And it's, imp- it's near impossible, even if you go there 20 times, but it's it's a yeah it's a i totally and yeah 1500 people is enough you like you can still kind of meet everybody you can uh you know you you're you're not like getting noticed while you're shopping for underwear kind of thing like you're just well you know and again and this actually goes back this actually goes on to like a slightly other topic but it is all music and it is interesting you know like last thursday i went to the um i went to the great hall to uh, to go see um, a newish uh, country performer named Valerie June. Are you familiar with her at all? No. Okay. Well, she's um, I th- she's from the Southern states. I think she actually might be from Alabama, but she's definitely like an authentic Southerner. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she she's um, about thirty thirty four thirty five. She's gorgeous. She's black. She wears silver spangly cat suits. Um, and she writes great songs. She's super talented. She's got this weird voice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like totally weird voice. It's not like, it's not that commercial. Like the songs are really great, but her voice kind of like, it gives it that weird angle, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and the thing is, she's, she's, she's actually quite successful now, you know, in, you know, in, in the idiom of what she does and everything like that. And as I was watching it, well, all I could think to myself was, you know, all the parts and pieces of this particular thing are so in the right place that there's no way that this cannot fail. Hmm. And it's rare that I've actually seen something recently where I went, you know what? Everything about this is right. Yeah. There's not, and, and the important thing is, is, the bottom line is like, is the music good? Yeah, the music's fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the music is fucking amazing, dude. Like, if you really like real gospel and real blues and real country blues, this is good stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. this, is, this is really good roots music, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, I was just watching going, I don't, this can't fail. And I kind of think, I mean, again, I'm only, this is only a hypothetical thing. I'm making a prediction, but I saw something at the great hall on Thursday, which I think when she comes back around, it will never be in a place that small ever again. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's people that are made for that. They're, they're, they're engineered They're And there's not even a lot of styling or pizzazz that goes into even the production. Probably it's just, no, good it's just and there. It feels all, the, right. all the parts and pieces are in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I I have I had an artist manager on my show actually, and he Liam Liam Colleen and he talks yeah. he talks about he's a cool guy <laughs> yeah he's a great guy he talks about 
listen, it's it's your map. I'll tell you kind of how to get there, but it's your map and your car. You drive there. It's your career. And uh, yeah. it, that says everything, really, because it's saying that whatever decisions you make, we make. You know, if you want to make this decision, I might, I'll tell you the ramifications of that decision, but I will try to get you there as fast as possible and the easiest way to get there. And some Absolutely. people are just, some people just get there faster. And some people have to wait 40 years, like the Stooges, before they actually get like a world, you know, to be somewhat of a household name, you know? And that's. You know, and you know what? The funny thing is, is that in the Stooges case, though, you know, it's almost like you could almost look at it slightly humorously as, as like, okay, now everybody go home and think about what you did. Now take 30 <laughs> years doing it, and then we'll all get back together, discuss what we did, and continue on. That would be the greatest manager move ever. Like, if the manager's like, listen, y'all gotta starve for another 25 years. Believe me, it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be huge. It's gonna be, exactly. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. It's gonna break enormous. One more year. One it. more year. But I'm fucking starving! <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Dave, I really enjoyed this. This is great. Um, I, you know, I, I'm so good to get caught up with you. And uh, Simon, I'm very, I'm so glad that you phoned. You know what? It actually has. You know what? This has been a lovely conversation. You are a gentleman, and you oh, know what? Thank you. Uh, please, like, let's let's um, let's not just do this again, like for the radio. Let's go hang out, man. I know, <laughs> man. And uh, well, maybe I'll see you at the Stop, Drop, and Roll, where my band, The Fairmounts, is playing in April with the Dead Boys. Uh, oh, you're doing the Dead Boys show? Yeah. Yeah, Arson's playing ah, it too. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay, you're doing that show. Excellent, sure excellent, am. excellent. What else are you guys doing? Uh, I think that's it for now. I think we have one show in Barry booked or something like that, but it's that's it. That's it. What do you What do you got planned for, for shows well, besides you know what, what all, you're touring? All I'm saying is, well, well, you know what? I don't know what... I'm just saying, like, um, what do we got? Um, I... I'm, as I said, on March in March, I'm going down to the states with Poppy Seed. Yep. We're going to do a few shows. Oh, here's what's interesting: those shows. Okay, I'm going to do a bit of a hype here thing. Sure. Those shows are with Simply Saucer. Oh, okay. So here's what's going on. See, I, I guess I guess you're aware of this, but Simply Saucer have have a book that just came out that's written about them. Hmm. And uh, because you know they're definitely they're definitely a notable Canadian band, and, they, and if anyone deserves a book, it's a band like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so. A book just came out, and and what it is is that we're going with them down to the states, and I believe that the bass player from Rocket from the Tombs will be playing with them for that part of the tour, and so that's the connection with the Dead Boys thing. See, oh. you're, you're, see, because you're because you're playing, yeah, because you're playing with Johnny and Cheetah, and I'm going on tour with the bass player from Rocket. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, man. So we're great. both playing with Rocket from the Tombs guys next month. That's what I'm saying. And there's another Dead Boys reference through Arson too, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. So, 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 so there's a nice little um, coincidence. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're you're playing with Rocket from the Tombs guys, and so am I. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope to see you down there, and let's yeah, let's not let's not wait another 15 years before we can sit and talk. No, actually, you know what? No, I'll get in touch with you beforehand, and I and I will definitely come to that show. But I'll get in touch with you beforehand. But it, it's it, as I said, it was just nice to figure all this stuff out. It's you know, lovely. Yeah. I love talking to you, man. It's, okay, cool. Thanks. Okay, well, um, whatever, man. I guess whatever. I guess you got to do what you got to do. But um, but whatever. You know what? Just text me, call me, whatever. I'm around. You know. I got your number now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, buddy. Okay, man. I love you. Love you too. Good talking to you. Okay. Dave Kiner, everybody. 
Wasn't that fun? Yeah, he's a cool dude. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to go to Appalock.ca, click on the Ride to Conquer Cancer banner, tell a friend, um, get together, really, really, really help me out with that one. Don't forget about Amazon. Don't forget to go to Appalock.ca slash Amazon. If you're from Canada, don't forget to click on the banners by going to Appalock.ca. Don't forget, help me out with Patreon, patreon.com slash Appalock, and all that good stuff. Buy a shirt, Appalock.ca slash shop. Like the show on, on uh, Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and do all that good stuff, because this is a community. I'd like this to be called somewhat of a podcast community. I don't know who I have. I have a choice between two next week. I'm not entirely sure. I believe it's going to be... Well, I'm not going to say what it is, because it might... It's all recorded, but I have to get this time right, and I'm not going to speak out of school, because when you assume something, you make an ass out of you and me. Get it? So I'm not going to tell you who is on next week. So you're going to have to come back. I'll, maybe I'll let you know if you check it out. Go to Facebook and see. There's posters usually I put up there. No, I've been pretty lax physical of putting up the uh, posters. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do. And quite frankly, I've worked every single day for the past 15 days. So um, I'm surprised I even have enough time about a mere hour to do this right now before I go to work. Okay. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, yeah fun thing to do it's it's i wouldn't do this if it wasn't fun i wouldn't do it if it wasn't challenging i wouldn't do it if it wasn't rewarding rewards are hearing back from all you folks so please comment subscribe help out subscribe to the website you just go to the website and subscribe and you get a little email notification so, 